Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. But we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Ah. Hello, Kate. Hello. <laughs> wow. Was that too loud? No, Did that I? was great. I'm just, you know, I, I took a late shower today. Uh-huh. So I'm still kind of all oiled up and... Like oh. sweaty. Oh, here. hello. <laughs> I wasn't saying that in a <laughs> sexy way. Weren't you? <laughs> I mean, this podcast is all about the innuendo. Mm-hmm. Well, I have not showered today. Well, good, because it's about 105 degrees here. It is very warm. So a shower is essentially pointless. Yeah. I probably will take one later just I- to wash off the grime. Wash off the day. Mm-hmm. I 
did my like uh, bi-weekly shave today as oh. well. So I'm extra smooth. Oh, look at you. Yeah. But I am kind of greased up and like sliding around <laughs> over here. <laughs> you know when you do like the afternoon shower? Yeah. It's very weird. It really throws me for a loop. Yeah. Because I'm usually a morning shower as we've discussed on the mm-hmm, pod. Mm-hmm. But I will take the occasional night shower. But yeah, the afternoon shower is like... What is it? Yeah. What is it? Do you think there's like a group of people who only afternoon shower? Well, I think if you have a nine to five, it's like, it's, it's hard to pull off the afternoon shower. Although I guess there are people who like work out on their lunch break and then shower. Although I was never able to pull that off. No I think, way. I think maybe if you were one of those people who like had a gym in your office building, it would be doable. Yeah. Otherwise, it, like, I, I, yeah, I was never able. Oh my gosh. To do that. No. Um, but I guess. Those people maybe shower. Weigh in, you afternoon showerers out there. And I'm sure like the work from homers. Yes. Are, there might be a, a little group. Sure. I mean, that's technically what I am. So. I mean, look, you know, I, I will say like around two or three every day, I have a natural sort of dip in energy. And I maybe do Maybe a too. shower would like rev me up or well, something. Well, that's interesting because that is kind of like the time for the afternoon coffee break for many people yeah. or the snack break. Yep. 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 For me, that's often when I like eat sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be, and you are not caffeinated anymore. No, I'm not. Maybe I should be. Do, are you thinking about going back? I don't know. Whoa. I don't think so. Definitely not to the amount of coffee that I used to drink. Are you starting to miss it in any way? Like the flavor, the ritual? Um, I am like, I think I'm actually missing that afternoon pick me up a little bit. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and we should also say like, you have a three month old baby. I do at have home a three month right old now. baby at home. Yeah. And you work from home. Mm-hmm. So that is a lot. Yeah. And you have a baby who wakes up very early. You, you're dealing with a lot. So that would make, it would make sense that you would have a dip of energy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You can also just try like meditating. Is that, that the most annoying suggestion? <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for the suggestion. Oh, what a terrible suggestion. <laughs> Instead of coffee, you could just meditate for 10 minutes. Shut up. Uh, That's interesting that you're feeling the draw because you really like were I'm almost. Not, I, I feel like I need to walk this back okay, a little sorry. bit. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Maybe I'm pushing it. I, you might be pushing am it I a little. Am I pushing you into this? Well, just like it, it is like crossed my mind of like, oh, am I like, I wonder if I'll go back to caffeine. I haven't been craving it. Yeah. Um, and I haven't been like, like Matt drinks coffee every morning and I haven't been like, Oh, I right. wish I was <laughs> drinking some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's more like during the course of the day. If I'm, if I feel myself sort of lagging, yeah. especially in the afternoon, I've been like, Hmm, it would be nice to have like a nice, I used to have like an iced green tea in the afternoon. That sounds good. And that was like, that was nice and refreshing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and seltzer just doesn't give me the same sort of kick. No, it's definitely not caffeinated. Yeah. Yeah. You want it to give you the boost. You do. And it doesn't. You pop it open. It's yeah. refreshing. But, you know, every time I do think about going back, I'm like, but it's, you know, again, it's like nice to not feel dependent on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not really dependent on a lot of things just our friendship just our friendship in this podcast (laughs) um and so 
yeah, it's been nice to not like wake up and have to have a cup of coffee. Did you ever smoke cigarettes? No. So you, um, I mean, socially. <laughs> sure. Remember we, in like the late nineties, everyone was a social smoker. I do. <laughs> Uh, we should clarify that we don't support that. No, but um, I feel like in college that was like a lot of people just like smoked at parties and also you could smoke everywhere in the nineties. I definitely smoked pretty in the nineties. Yeah. You could smoke everywhere. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think like I remember, I remember I, in high school, I worked in the Copley place mall. Oh. Wow, really? In a candy st- in my uncle's candy store. Your uncle's a candy store in the Copley Place Mall. I mean, he used to in he, Boston. Yes, he does not anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, you just rocked my world. <laughs> For clarification, if you don't live in Boston, it's like a really cool mall right in the center of the city. It used to not be like so cool. It was always really fancy, and his store was not that fancy because I feel he had been there since the mall opened. This is like a huge digression. This is a very um, micro yeah. specific. <laughs> so I think when he started there, it was more of a mix of like fancy, like Neiman Marcus, right. but then also like a weird card and party store and like Oban pen and like oh, and a sharper image and a sharper image. You know what I mean? Like Fountain. kind of like middle market stores. Anyway, iconic. The point is, I remember when they banned smoking in the mall. Well, you could smoke inside yes. the mall? Yes. Ooh. Until like the early 90s, you could smoke in the mall. Holy shoot. Which was normal. Like that was Ugh. When I went to college, there was a smoking section in the dining hall. Oh god. You could smoke disgusting. in your dorm room. They asked you if you were a smoker on the like roommate question. That I do remember. That I do remember. I feel yeah. Like now this is like not like no. Do college freshmen even smoke anymore? If they I all know I think people jewel, jewel yeah, which is smoke. awful too. Don't jewel. Don't jewel, everyone. Don't jewel. <laughs> we will never let jewel sponsor this podcast. I, I mean, will just say. Yeah. Anyway. I, I ask only because I did. I'm not proud of the fact that yeah. I smoked, but I did. And it is interesting, like checking the things, these kind of, I don't know, vices is not the right term, but like the little like crutches we have. Yeah, totally. Coffee is, caffeine's still one for me. I like it. Yeah, I, I, it was for me for a very, very, very long yeah. time. Yeah, we've dissected that before. We have. How are you otherwise over there? Well, Kate, I'm having a day. <laughs> You're having a day. <laughs> having a real day. I mean, I did. I texted this to you and then deleted it. But I almost, when you were explaining to me what was going on, I just wrote Mercury in retrograde, and then I was like, No, 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 no. That's the worst Thank thing you to for say. Catching yourself, especially the story will not like that. Yeah. So you know, I was already kind of having our day yeah. a day. Um, we had this recording scheduled, and so I'd been planning on taking the morning, like prepping for the recording and doing getting some other work done, and then our nanny texted us that she was sick. Um, so that sort of threw the day into a little bit of disarray, not huge disarray because thankfully Matt is still home, but like he had stuff that he was going to do, you know, so it just like kind of not threw us for a loop, but just upended, changed, things. changed things. Um, and Henry's just, Henry was just like a little cranky today. Um, and it's also really hot. So we can't, I, I don't feel comfortable taking him outside. He gets really hot. Like his stroller's really hot. Um, so we're inside. Bo also like <laughs> Matt took him for a walk this morning. He didn't poop. Then at like 11, he started like agitating for a walk. And I was like, what is going on? I didn't realize that he hadn't pooped. Aww. And then Matt was like, he didn't poop. And I was like, oh, so I took Bo out for a walk. It was really hot. 
He had a huge poop. Good. I'm glad he got that out. Me too. Um, you know, nothing like major and all like relatively, all of these are relatively minor issues. Anyway, I was tired. It was hot. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I was already running late to come to your house. And then, oh, and also, sorry, just one more aside. My car lease is up in five days. I am not a great driver. Although I will amend this to say I'm not a great parker. All of my issues have been parking. All okay. of them. Okay. Uh, which is relevant. Oh, it is. <laughs> to what I'm about to say. <laughs> so Matt has been trying to fix my car, the body damage himself, which I have referred to now as a boondoggle. Great word. Thank you. Um, that is a whole other story that I feel like I can't even get into, but suffice to say, our backyard looks like an auto body shop. We have mentioned this. Yes. Yeah. It's ongoing. And it does really, it's yeah. kind of amazing. It's amazing is an interesting word well, for I'm it. trying to be supportive. Thank you. Um, Your husband and you. Anyway, he was getting close to being done. And then I was backing out this, this afternoon and I sideswiped his car, his expensive car. Um, and I was like, fuck me like wow <laughs> wow i just did that okay <laughs> to his credit he didn't really he didn't get mad um he was like pretty calm until he walked outside barefoot and oh. then was like it's so hot and i was like you're not wearing shoes anyway that just was like a, a coda to a morning of like minor annoyances that then became a, a major annoyance so that's how I am. It's fine. It's all fine. It is all fine. We're allowed. We're allowed to feel stressed at minor annoyances. Yes. Um, but and I was also, you know what? I was also grateful that Matt is still home because if this had happened next week, guess who'd be here <laughs> at this recording? Yep. Yeah. Which would be fine with me. Which would be fine. I would be thrilled. But like, well, I probably would have made you come to my house. Which is fine. Um, But anyway, how are you? Well, I was up at 2 Mm a.m. as well because I have been promising one of my children overnight oats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She loves overnight oats. Every day she's like, did you make them? And I'm like, no, I forgot. (laughs) So we like left a post-it note out last night and we bought all the stuff and then I went to bed and I woke up at 2 a.m. to go to the bathroom. And then I realized as I was like peeing that I had not made the overnight oh my oats. God. So at 2 in the morning, I shuffled in here and made them. Oh. Now, I'm like totally down with disappointing my kids. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not here to pander to them. They live a very privileged life. Yeah. They can handle the disappointment of not having overnight oats. But it, I, it was more that I was going to sit in bed and think about it and not go, yes, be able to go back to sleep. Totally. Um, but I will say that what was really cool is that I did go back to sleep. I have a hard time falling back asleep. And I think that is because my phone was not in my bedroom for me to pick up and look yes, at. Yes, Kate. Because Dory, yes. I have been pretty consistent about leaving my phone in the kitchen at bedtime. And it is... It's game changing, right? Radically overnight changing. Things. Yes, it's like yes. honestly kind of shocking. Yes. Um, I am going to bed earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm 
reading more before bed. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling more tired. Mm -hmm. When my phone is in my room, I could stay up till 12, 12, 15, just swiping away. Yep. Right now, I'm kind of falling falling asleep by 1045. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling tired. Like oftentimes with my phone, I have this kind of like awake alert tired, but I'm actually just feeling like bone tired. Yeah. And it just, it, it honestly feels amazing. And then in the morning, I am waking up differently. I'm sleeping better. And I'm also just kind of slowly waking up because mm-hmm. I don't have anything to roll over and look at. Yep. Which is how I live my life when my phone is in my bedroom. Yep. I'm talking like the second... I'm even like half awake. I'm grabbing for my phone and opening something. So that has been really awesome. Mm -hmm. And I would love to stick with it and make it a real actual life change for me. So it's the best. We're in the early stages. I'm so glad that you've been doing it. You know, we've talked about it a ton on this podcast. And I think like part of this whole journey, mm-hmm. hashtag journey, mm-hmm. is that you try stuff, it feels great, then you go back to your old ways. Yep. That's yep. just yep. a normal part of life. Yep. But right now I'm enjoying the good feeling. Yeah. And I love just being like, fuck you, phone. You have less power over me. <laughs> you still have a lot of power over yeah. me. But here's a, I'm taking away a little bit of your power. Yeah putting you away. Yeah. It's time for us to say good night. Good night, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> You're staying in the kitchen and probably listening to everything I say. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Dorian, today's episode mm-hmm. we're going to kind of check in about burnout, but also how then to Take care of yourself while on vacation. Yeah. And you know, later in the episode we're talking to Amelia and Emily Nagoski about their amazing new book, newish book, Burnout. Yeah. Um, so we thought we would talk a little bit about burnout too, yes. especially since Kate is about to leave for vacation. Two days. Two, two days. Two days. You can do it. I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of things to do on my to-do list, aka to-doist. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I I am really going to try to shut things off for the for the eight days that I am quote unquote on vacation. I'm excited for you. Well, thank you. I am also excited for me. Mm-hmm. I think it will be hopefully relaxing. Yeah. Um. To, to let everyone know where I'm headed, going to it's a family visiting vacation. Oftentimes those are not relaxing, but this is still. I, I feel like we still are able to carve out time for downtime. That's not that awesome. my family isn't relaxing. Sure. I, I'm very fortunate that I come from a pretty low maintenance families on all sides, in-laws, mm-hmm. regular laws. Um, but, you know, like when you have visiting, you know, you're getting FaceTime with your family once a year. It's it's time consuming. Yeah, totally. But I think we will also be able to just chill out, zone out, not stare at our screens, swim, go for walks. What do you... What do you picture when you picture this vacation and how does it make you feel? Well, this one is tied up into lots of emotional stuff for me because it's going to New Hampshire where my family is from. My mom is buried there. It's I'm going to a place where um, I spent my childhood. Mm-hmm. So like, it's all, it's not like I'm going to a resort in Cabo, sure. which also sounds great. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, like I'm going to go sleep in the bed that my grandparents slept in. This isn't a uh, like a house that my grandparents 
uh, lived in, um, like their full-time house when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So it was like the house I used to go to have Christmas at. Mm-hmm. Any hoots. So there's that element of like, oh, I'm revisiting my childhood. Isn't life crazy how right. fast it moves? Look at all these relics. Cry, cry, cry. But then it's also a lot of just like sitting by the water, catching salamanders with my kids in a lake, like peeing in the lake, love to pee in the lake, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. looking at loons, canoeing. It's quiet. I also love the East Coast in the summer. Maybe yeah. we'll get some thunderstorms. It's just a nice change of scenery. It's nice to get out of California. Um, so I'm also picturing reading a lot of books. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like five that I want to bring. Can yeah. I read five books yes. in eight days? Huh? You know what? It's good to have that goal. <laughs> Is it possible? What are you going to read? Okay. I wrote them all down. Dory, I'm currently reading Fleischman is in Trouble. Yes. I have The Incendiaries. Mm-hmm. I have a new book by my friend Dan Coyce called How to Be a Family that I've started reading. and I'm really excited to keep reading. The Wedding Party mm-hmm. by Jasmine Guillory, which I have like saved for a vacation. I love saving books for vacation. Yes. We saw Jasmine recently and I was like, I haven't read your book yet because I'm saving it. <laughs> uh, and then also... I think um, like just, I think as an author, that's like one of the most flattering things yes. you can hear from it's someone. Like your book gets the special place. Yes, exactly. Um, and then I have a copy of a book that isn't out yet by my friends, Christina Lauren called Twice in a Blue Moon. And I also want to read that. Ooh. Well, are you going to read anything on the plane? Well, Dory... I am really kind of hitting my stride writing, revising my novel. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I love to do that on a plane. I love to write on a plane. You've got natural white noise. My kids are glued to iPads and not talking yep. to me. They're drinking ginger ale because yep. I let them have soda on planes. Non-caffeinated soda. Okay. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> um, so I love – I also kind of like to doze on a plane. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll read. Nora McInerney, past guest – I think friend of the pod. Fre- let's, I mean, let's just call her a friend of the pod. Okay. I mean, yeah. Cousin of Midwestern the pod. correspondent. Just a treat. Um, I think she has kind of a policy where she only read, where she does not like do any work on planes, doesn't look at screens, like doesn't download the internet and just reads. And she travels Ooh. a lot. So like planes, she also reads outside of plane time, but sure. that's her reading time. Um, a couple other things I'm planning on doing is putting an out of office message on my personal email mm-hmm. and only checking it a couple times a day. I am probably not going to post any of my vacation on Instagram Mm -hmm. just because uh, like, I feel like that takes away from my actual enjoyment. Yeah. I'm trying to like frame it as some sort of narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're going to like take pictures, right? Definitely. I love, and maybe I will. I mean, I don't want to hold myself to any of this because I feel like you set yourself up for failure. I'm not going to like delete apps off my phone okay? because I just find that like, I feel like that's actually counterproductive for me that mm. I just like think about the apps right. rather than just like letting myself, it's like restrictive eating maybe. Oh, interesting. Like just know that the apps are there and I can check them if I want. Um, really enjoy time with my family and nap. And then I think the biggest thing is communicating to other people that like I'm going to be on a break Yep. because people don't stop for you when you're on vacation. No. They still... Like email still happens, text still happen, DM, like people are are all working and living their lives. And so having to really communicate, like I need this time to decompress, um, I think is key. Yeah. Um, which is why I said to you, like, hey, can I completely check out for these eight days? And I said, yes. You were very generous and said, go for it. But I think it's, I think it's really helpful to fully slow down. 
I completely agree. So anyway, that's what I'm thinking of. I'll let you know how it goes when I'm when I'm done. I mean, yeah. you know, and I think we've talked about staycationing too. Like, for, yeah, I, I think a vacation is as much a mental thing as it is an actual like physical re, uh, repositioning of where you are. Totally. Right? Like you can be in the most remote, beautiful place in the world, but if you're not actually taking time for yourself, what are you even doing there? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you took a vacation? Like a real vacation? What constitutes a real vacation for you? Because sometimes you have like a sightseeing vacation. Sometimes yeah. you have a family visit vacation. Well, I, I went away by myself right before Henry was born to Santa Barbara for oh, two nights. right. I remember when mm-hmm. you did that. You took your own little baby move. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a vacation. I would say. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, as we were kind of planning this episode, I started thinking about some of the more memorable vacations I have taken. And I realized that a lot of them have been with friends. I love friend vacations. Yeah. I want to do more of them. I know. And I was like, I hope I'm not entering this phase in my life where I don't do friend vacations now that I have a child. Yeah. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. I have I have um uh, a group of college friends and we still manage to get together somewhere once a year for like a long weekend. That's awesome. We did it in January in Palm Springs. It's so much fun. Yeah. Although you do all have to share a bathroom, which is real fun. Yeah, I forget what sharing a bathroom with like five <laughs> with, other with like women other is. people. Yeah, yeah. they're like <laughs> everybody's taking time to do their poops. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love a f- I would I love a friend. I've never gone on like a like friend vacation. Well, maybe when I was in college, but like to your like some like big fr- vacation. Normally it's like we'll go to the this house nearby. Right. I I've I went to Tulum like mm. about 10 years ago with friends. With with a friend, we did like a week long. It was it was called Bikini Boot Camp. Dory. <laughs> it's a horrible name, uh-huh. but it was so fun and it was it was an amazing vacation. It was this small hotel on the beach. Every day you like woke up, there was a walk on the beach. The food was amazing. There were yoga classes. There were like, there were more intense classes, but it wasn't really that intense. There were some like field trips that they took us on. It was so much fun. Um, And then that same friend and I also did a yoga retreat right before I moved to LA in, it was like a yoga and surfing retreat in Cabo. Wow. Yeah. You know how to surf? I used to. Not that good anymore. I also, I did a solo vacation to the Dominican Republic that was a surf camp. What? Mm-hmm. Like seven or eight years ago. The things I still don't know about you. I've lived many lives. You Kate. have? I had no idea you <laughs> surfed and vacationed alone. Yeah. I think that's really, really important, like in partnerships or single parent, non-parent, to have an alone experience. Mm -hmm. Damn. That is awesome. Thanks. I'm not sure I've ever done an alone vacation. I just spent a night alone in San Diego and I was like twiddling my thumb. I mean, I did did end up enjoying myself. Sure. It can be hard when you're so used to being around people. Yeah, for sure. And you did a surf camp. Yeah, I did. We got to get you back on the board. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see you surf. I mean, I haven't done it in years. I would love. It is very, it is really, really fun in a way that like almost nothing else is. I've never tried it. I'm scared. It's very cool. It's scary. I mean, 
when I went to that yoga and surf camp, I like, I, I didn't get injured exactly, but I had, I like fell off my board and like it, it wasn't great. Um, so yeah, it can be a little scary, but you know, anyway, but what I wanted to actually talk about was this study that I've like seen referenced a lot, but I never actually read the study. And it's, it's this 2010 study that concluded that planning for a vacation boosts happiness. Um, so not necessarily the vacation itself. Exactly. So Mm. I'm going to quote from the study vacationers reported a higher degree of pre-trip happiness compared to non-vacationers, possibly because they are anticipating their holiday. But only a very relaxed holiday trip boosts vacationers' happiness further after return, and generally there is no difference between vacationers' and non-vacationers' post-trip happiness. Wow, that's fascinating. Isn't that so interesting? So if we just planned vacations and never took them, we would possibly be as happy as people who take vacations? Possibly. Wow, that's fa- I I do think like... It is kind of like why I still look at real estate, even though I'm not in the market to buy a home. There's something about like fantasizing and planning it's ahead. It's a fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds fun. Maybe I'll just plan a vacation for the sake of planning yeah, something. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe I'll take it. Maybe, but it seems like it's less important than actually the kind of plotting. Yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, like they say, a very relaxed holiday trip, which it sounds like yours is going to be. It normally is pretty chill. Yeah, it, it really is a good good way to decompress. It's nice. It's also really nice to come back from a, a truly relaxing vacation and be like, you know what? I feel better. And like, I'm happy to be back. Yes. And step yes. back into my life. Yes. Yeah. Well, Dory, I'll let you know how it goes. I will. I can't wait to hear. This also has now made me want to plan a vacation. Okay. Yeah. There is, um, you know, a little bit of a conversation amongst my college friends about taking a trip somewhere abroad next year oh because well, we're all like well. 40 now yeah, yeah. now is the time mm-hmm. my high school friends and i are also talking about meeting up somewhere and just spending a couple of days together that so could be I've fun. got a lot of trips going on Don't yeah you, you do. take one we could go on one together i too. would love to that would be fun yeah let's do we that. are going on like a mini trip for, it's work related it's work related yeah we've only we've ever gone done... on a couple of work related trips yeah we went to wing camp together we did we went to south by southwest yeah and now we're going to orlando florida <laughs> Actually, we should probably tell people that we're going to Orlando. We are. We're going to be on a panel at Podcast Movement. Yeah. So if you are at Podcast Movement, come see us. Our panel's on Thursday. I don't have any more information. Me neither. Um, but please come say hi. We love Yeah. If you're going to be chatting. there, let us know um, and, and come find us. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. Let's do that. 
What I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Super Power Short. The Super Power Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get oh, into okay, it. Do you want to tell me why? No, no. I was just <laughs> going to say like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic 
intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year, I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Our guests today are Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. We've got the, this is the first time we've had two guests on at once, Story. Is that correct? And sisters. And sisters. Mm-hmm. We're, we're so thrilled. We're breaking a lot of new ground today. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start by reading each of their bios. Emily Nagoski is the author of Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. She has a PhD in health behavior with a minor in human sexuality from Indiana U. Indiana University and an MS in counseling. And that includes a clinical internship at the Kinsey Institute for Sexual Health. She has been a sex educator for 20 years and also worked as the inaugural director of wellness education at Smith College. And Amelia Nagoski is a conductor. She holds a DMA in conducting from the University of Connecticut. An assistant professor and coordinator of music at Western New England University, she regularly presents educational sessions discussing the application of communication science and psychological research for audiences of other professional musicians, including Beyond Burnout Prevention, Embodied Wellness for Conductors. And they are here today to talk to us about burnout because together they have written an incredible book called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle, which is a cycle we live in. Yes, indeed. And we are so excited to have you both here. And I have to say, we've had many listeners ask us to have you on. So this has been a long time coming. We really appreciate your time. Oh, that's thrilling to hear. We're glad to do it. Very exciting. 
Let's talk about how stressed we are and how we can possibly solve it. Um, okay. I, I guess we wanted to kind of start uh, in first learning for our listeners who may have not heard of this book, exactly what you tackle in burnout. And I would love to know where you were in each of your own lives when you decided to then write this book together. Yeah, we decided to write the book back in uh, 2015, actually. Uh, October of 2015 was when we had our first official meeting about it. I had spent the previous six months or so traveling around talking about Come As You Are, which is a book about the science of women's sexual well-being. Of course, the best predictor of a woman's sexual well-being is her overall well-being. So there's a chapter in Come As You Are about stress and emotions. But there's also like nine other eight other chapters about the science of sexuality so i was traveling all over talking about the science women's sexuality and after my talks women kept coming up to me and saying yeah emily all that sex science is great but you know the chapter that really changed everything for me was that one chapter about stress and feelings and i was surprised uh and so i went to a million. I was like, this strange thing keeps happening. People are telling me that it's not the sex science, it's the feelings part that really makes a difference for them. And I was not surprised at all. This is Amelia. <laughs> um, being a conductor, part of my training was learning how to get in touch with my own feelings and express them clearly on stage. Part of my work is to lead my performers to a place where they're connected with their emotions, to express the composer's expressive intention. Um, so I was not surprised at all that people were excited and it was news to them that their feelings have something to do with their well-being but the thing is i had only learned to do it on stage and it was when i learned to do it in my real life that it saved my life twice wow so when she said that i was like okay so we we, we should write a book about that um and that's when we decided to write burnout can you go into a little bit uh, a little bit more about your own experiences personally with with burning out in that way and dealing Absolutely. and experiencing stress. Absolutely. This is Amelia again. I'll start because Emily has never experienced like the real hardcore kind of burnout like mm. I did, where I was hospitalized mm. twice wow. for stress induced inflammation. It was during my doctoral work. Um, I was a student conductor, which is an inherent conflict. When you're a student, you're a follower. When you're a conductor, you're a leader. And that was very stressful. Also, I was in a program that had a lot of sexism built into it. Classical music is very conservative. Um, so the fact that I was a woman and a conductor was also an oxymoron to them. And it was, it was like I was being pulled in a lot of different directions. I'm also a stepmother. I also was commuting 65 miles each way and working two other jobs. So my life was overwhelmingly stressful. And I ended up in the hospital hospital um, with uh, inflammation, uh, abdominal pain that turned out a year later when I went back to the uh, emergency room, they actually diagnosed it as uh, appendicitis and they took my appendix out. But in the meantime, after that first hospitalization, Emily started bringing me books because this is how she expresses her sisterly love is, uh, here, Amelia, here's some peer-reviewed science to help you out. <laughs> and, uh, and it really did help. I, I learned that emotions are not just some metaphysical, metaphorical idea that you express on stage, but a cycle that happens in your body and that when you allow that cycle to complete, you allow your body to go through the oscillations that it wants to and you can reach a state of wellness rather than just keeping your head above water barely all the time. Mm. You figured So that was out. chapter one. Yeah, that was chapter <laughs> one. Chapter, chapter uh, cycle one. Because Amelia's situation was that even though like she had all these physiological markers of being clearly unwell, 
the medical providers could not give a diagnosis. They said it was just stress and she should go home and relax. <laughs> Whatever like, the what does that, that look like? Right, right. Exactly. Like what? Yeah. I'll just do my doctoral work and be a stepmother to teenagers and drive 65 miles and work two jobs while relaxing. Oh That's God. totally no possible. problem. No, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so, I gave her books basically about uh, the physiology of emotion processing. The super short version is that uh, stress is a cycle with a beginning, a middle, and an end, just like all of our physiological processes. Amaya doesn't like when I use this metaphor, but it's like digestion. There's a beginning, <laughs> a middle, and an end. A very clear and end. If you get stuck in the middle, you got to help your body move all the way through the end or bad things happen. Mm. And and um, are you finding that many of us are stuck in that space of not knowing how to bring the stress cycle to an end? Oh, yeah, because we've been really pretty deliberately taught, especially if you got uh, raised as a girl and then a woman, you were taught that your feelings matter less than everyone else's comfort and convenience. And so we stuff our discomfort and we put a smile on our faces and we manage everybody else's world so that everybody else gets what they need. And we just hold on to our stress, feeling like, no, I'm strong enough to just like let it go. I'm strong enough to just, I don't need to feel all that. And uh, it just sits there spinning in our bodies waiting for an opportunity. So most of us are walking around with decades of incomplete stress response cycles in our bodies just waiting for us to let them complete. And is this essentially when you talk about human giver syndrome in the book is with yeah. that that is essentially what you're talking about right now, correct? Is that is that it? Exactly. It is one source of stress and it's an overarching umbrella that is a reason why we end up interrupting the stress cycles over and over. So if I may, yes. uh, human giver syndrome, we get the term from a very dark but nice and short book called Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny by a moral philosopher named Kate Mann. In it, she postulates a world where there are two kinds of humans. There are human beings who have a moral obligation to be their full humanity, to be acquisitive, competitive, and entitled, whatever it takes to be their full humanity as human beings. And then there are the human givers who have a moral obligation to give their full humanity, their time, attention, affection, their hopes and dreams, their bodies, their very lives, sacrificed on the altar of other people's comfort and convenience. Um, and guess which one the women are? Mm. And of course, it's not as simple as just like men are beings and women are givers. We, Amelia and I are both married to cisgender men who are givers themselves. Mm. And the dynamic in our relationship is that like we have to watch the other person because my husband is willing to like give and give and give and give until there's nothing left. Like part of my responsibility as his spouse is to make sure he doesn't let himself get tapped out in his desire to be generous with me. Um, so that's a relationship between two givers is a very different phenomenon from a relationship between a being and a giver. And that's not necessarily going to look the gendered script. I am married to a giver who is a cis man. Yeah. I can yeah. see that. They, mm -hmm. they exist. They're, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And one of the questions we get asked a lot is, does this mean women shouldn't be givers? And no, we absolutely should be givers. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing to be able to like give and receive love and care. Yeah. The problem only comes in the situation of human giver syndrome, mm. where one group of people feels entitled to take whatever they can get from another group of people. So if right. you're a human giver, trapped in human giver syndrome, and you bump into a human being, 
they will take from you and continue taking. Uh, and because you're a giver, you feel like you're obliged to continue doing it. And if you don't continue giving, then you are a failure as a human and you deserve to be punished. And if there's no one around to punish you, you will just go ahead and beat the shit out of yourself. Mm, and this, I can see very clearly how this leads to burnout. Right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> if we had set out to design a system to burn out half the population, we could not have designed anything more efficient because we are not allowed as human givers to allow our bodies to have needs that need to mm. be fulfilled. Among those, the need to complete the stress response cycle, also the need to get adequate rest, also the need to pursue our own purpose and meaning. Yeah. Yeah, you you describe meaning as not like the solution for human giver syndrome, but something that can kind of help heal it. Is that right? Absolutely. This is Amelia again. Um, we call it you're something larger. When you connect with something larger than yourself, it is not your goal or your destination. Oh, I've discovered meaning in my life. It's not the end of the journey. It is why we take the journey. When you participate and engage with something larger than yourself, it gives you a reason to help you keep going even when things are difficult. Which we all need. Yeah. Well, so, yes. so science if, says so. <laughs> if you have human giver syndrome, how do you heal it? Meaning, um, connecting with something larger than yourself is a fantastic step forward. Most people have something larger that they feel is important to them. They have their family or their extended uh, church family or uh, their students that they want to serve or some calling that they feel drawn to. Most of us have something larger. But the barrier to that is also built in human giver syndrome, um, which says that there are only certain things that are acceptable as something larger's for women to serve. Mm. Yeah. So if you want to be a mom or a teacher or a nurse and give yourself to a population in service, that is very acceptable for women. If you want to stand in front of an orchestra and lead them to create great art with an audience of 5,000, people are going to turn to you and say, no, no, no. Well, they're not allowed anymore to turn to you and say, um, no, that's men's work. They're not allowed to say that anymore. So they prevaricate and string you along and manipulate you and gaslight you. And it's not they just say things like, it just, I just don't think it's a good fit. Ugh. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. So it's not just conductors, obviously, but um, women probably have all experienced times when they seem, it seems so easy to get approval. I'm getting married. Everyone's excited. I'm having a baby. Everyone's excited. I've decided not to have children. Well, that's a woman not fitting into her prescribed role. That's a woman deciding that something else besides giving to a child is going to be her life's purpose. And that's a violation of your obligation as a human giver. And therefore, women get a lot of friction when they try to move on these paths that are unusual. One of the worst things about human giver syndrome and sort of its toxicity in the context of patriarchy is the ways we police each other's choices. Mm. Because it feels like, so if I invest a lot of time and energy making sure I conform with the ideal of a human giver, and we say that a giver's job is to be pretty, happy, yet calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others. And if we see another person whom we cast as a giver falling short of that ideal, we judge them. We say, what's the matter with her? She needs to get back in line. We police each other 
reinforcing the idea because if I'm investing a lot of time and energy and making sure I conform to this and then she like just goes out there and does a thing that doesn't conform, then what she's saying, if she's daring to be happy with herself, is that all this work I'm doing doesn't matter. Mm. Well, this kind of... I could be free, but I can't be free. And so I need her to know that she is also trapped in the same system I'm trapped in. And this, this, you talk about this in terms of like, um, in terms of bodies and you talk about the bikini industrial complex yes. and thin privilege and which is something I, I, in my own personal life, both of us, I think has come up for us a lot. Um, so I would love for you to speak to this because I highlighted so many parts. I mean, you have a whole section about the, patriarchy and how it yes. really just screwed us all but this <laughs> but there are I, solutions in it too the solutions yes there are I, and that's is actually the best the solutions. best part about this book is that there are solutions um but i i like you say thin privilege is as real as privilege associated with race gender and class um, and I also love this line. You said it would be nice to be thin because it would privilege us with the gift of being treated like actual people, no matter what. I mean, you're this you're reflecting on a quote. I'm sorry, you're not saying you're responding to a quote from Cass Elliot's daughter uh, mm -hmm. in which she says it would be nice to thin to be thin. Um, and, and so I, I'm I'm rambling a bit here because this part really spoke to me. So if you could talk about that. And then also, I think because you, it's so evidence-based, talk about some of the solutions to responding to these um, structures that we are kind of forced to be in. Absolutely. Uh, this is Amelia. I, the phrase bikini industrial complex came pouring out of my mouth one day in a rehearsal with a lot of college age women. Um, one of my challenges as a choral conductor is working with singers and singing, as I tell them, is a bodily function. It requires you to, step one is breathe. And when you breathe, part of that process, part of that cycle is expanding your abdomen. You have to allow your abdomen to expand when you breathe. Um, well, you don't have to. You could like halfway breathe your whole life, but then you will probably die of oxygen deprivation eventually. <laughs> so these singers knew they were supposed to allow their abdomen to expand, but they just couldn't. And what had happened was they had been indoctrinated by all those clickbait ads, you know, of your get rid of belly fat in five days, and you need to have rock hard abs and shellacked six pack situation. And they believe that their abdomen is supposed to be hard. And even when they tried to let that go, they had learned it so deeply that they could not allow themselves to breathe. So I started trying to explain this to them. And the bikini industrial complex came out as the phrase to encapsulate this multi-billion dollar industry that strives to set an unattainable goal for us to say six pack abs are a mandatory minimum standard for all human beings when that is completely unattainable for everyone pretty much. Uh, and it makes money off of your suffering and your striving, and it prevents you from being able to breathe and from being able to sing. So if I want to get a good sound out of this choir, I need to unteach you everything the Bikini Industrial Complex has taught you. Um, so I, it's always been easier for me, this body image stuff, because my conducting training meant that the first thing I had to do in a conducting class was take a video of myself standing in front of the choir, watch it and write a reflection on what I thought about it. And it was hard at first, as you would think, watching yourself and trying to deal with your body image stuff. But I was in my late teens, early 20s and starting the practice that early of ignoring 
that voice that said, you look too fat, your your ass is too wide, your thighs are too thick, and just focusing on what's the work I'm doing? Am I effectively communicating? Does my body look the way that the music sounds? That trained me to see my body as something other than just an object of sexual desire. Um, Emily's training focused on other things that made her great at other stuff. But even today, she'll still watch herself on TV and she feels really self-conscious about her face, which is we're identical twins. Her face, (laughs) people like confuse us for each other. Our faces are the same. So when she's like, oh, I look so terrible and my chin's two points, I'm like, girl, that's my face. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out Amelia's early training is actually, it turns out is, uh, an adaptation of one of the evidence-based practices for dealing with this whole bikini industrial complex thing, which it's called a cognitive dissonance exercise, because what you do is you stand in front of a mirror naked or as close to naked as you can deal with. And you look at what you see there. And like Amelia did, you write down everything you see, but you write down what you see that you like. And of course, the first thing that happens is your brain gets flooded with all the things that the bikini industrial complex has tried to brainwash you into believing are wrong with your body. There are problems that need to be solved. That's fine. You just set those thoughts aside. You can have them literally any other time. Right now, you're just going to focus on the things you like. If it is your eyelashes, you write that down. If it is your ankle bones, you write that down. If it's your spirit, because you see it in your eyes, you write that down. And then you do it again the next day and you do it again the next day and the next day. And gradually, as Amelia experienced, what happens is you become more immune to the cultural messages that say that your body is not enough, that it is broken and problematic and needs to be fixed. Mm. Uh, So that's one of the evidence based practices is recognizing that your body is actually okay the way it is by practicing seeing it through those eyes. But you can hear Emily explaining what this practice is and why it works. And yet she herself still oh, yeah. struggles with the thing because it's a cycle. It's a thing that happens to us over and over again. Every time we look in the mirror, every time we look in our closet, every time we decide we're going to you know, dress up and look fancy for a thing, um, we re- re-encounter the bikini industrial complex and its negative stimulation happens in our bodies again. And we need to dress it again. It does not go away. It's just always going to be kind of a mess. And uh, accepting that mess is another step in the process. So Amelia, you just to go back to burnout specifically for a moment, um, you ended up in the hospital twice because of stress related um, illnesses, inflammation. inflammation yeah. Yes. Um, but for those of us who, you know, did not have such a kind of stark physical manifestation of our stress, How do we know when we're burned out? We use the description that burnout is the experience of feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by everything you have to do and yet still afraid that you're not doing enough. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's (laughs) I feel like that's the space I'm in all the time. Mm hmm. Yeah, you could probably use some help. Yes. Oh, no. Trust. Well, I mean, listen, I have a lot of folded down pages in your book that's sitting on my lap right (laughs) now. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. 
Okay. Which is okay. I know. Visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. What are some of the solutions that you offer people and some of the evidence-based solutions um, that you believe can help people deal with burnout. And, and and I know it's not something that is ever solved, but tools that can be put into place. So when you are going through a stress cycle, you feel some relief. Yeah. I, I, this is Emily. I feel more optimistic about it than it can never be solved. Okay. I think that's awesome. People's, people's lives can be better starting literally today, just by integrating a handful of the ideas just in chapter one, a handful of like ideas from each of the chapters will completely revolutionize your life. Um, So, okay, here, one, physical activity. I mean, raise your hand if you didn't know that exercise is good for you, right? We all know. But the reason why exercise, why physical activity, moving your body in literally any way that feels good for your body is so vital is because the stress response 
evolutionarily is designed to help us escape from predators, to run away from the lions and the hippos and etc. Um, so when your body floods with the adrenaline and cortisol and glucocorticoids, oh my, um, what your body is trying to get you to do is move, to run from the lion. Um, and so you do. Imagine you're on the savanna of Africa in the emotion, uh, environment of evolutionary adaptedness, and you start to run, and you manage to outrun the lion. You run back to your village, and somebody gestures you into their home and is like, "Come, come!" And we'll be like, you dig out, and you put your shoulders against the door, and you hear the lion roaring and pounding against the door, and then eventually the lion gives up and wanders away, and there you are, face to face with this person who just saved your life, and how you feel is. You're relieved. You're glad to be alive. You love your friends and family. You feel so grateful. That's the complete stress response cycle. Getting rid of the lion is not what did that. It is the running and coming home mm. that did that. So physical activity is what tells your body that you have arrived in a safe place. You have escaped the stressor and your body is now a safe place for you to be. Um, and it's easy for us to think that it's getting rid of the lion. But like if you're walking down the street and get, you know, cat called by some asshole who's like, hey, nice tits, lady, you'd be cuter if you smiled. Um that activates a stress response, adrenaline and cortisol and glucocorticoids, oh my. But the effective thing to do is not necessarily not to like run down the street, certainly not to turn around and punch that guy in the face. That would deal with the stress itself, man, to turn around and like punch that guy in the face. Your body be like, yeah, but like, is, is he then going to have like a sudden insight? Like, oh, I see. Catcalling right, and right. sexual harassment are wrong. I should never do them again. No, you've just made the situation a lot more dangerous. It has escalated. So it is the effective adaptive thing to do to just swallow the stress temporarily and be like, I'm just going to walk down the street. This guy does not matter. He is not worth it. You can postpone your body's need to complete the stress response cycle so that you can deal with the stressor rather than dealing with the stress. Mm. We do the same thing and parenting all the time when for the 40th time you're saying, I need you to stop what you're doing and put on your shoes. It's time to go put on your shoes. I need you to put on your shoes. And you're like adrenaline and cortisol in your body. Isn't it? You're like trying to like reason with your child later on is when you like do the thing that completes the stress response cycle, which again, physical activity is one of the number one ones. A uh, second thing is also related to the straight up physiology of the stress response. And that is affection. It doesn't have to be physical affection, but physical affection is great. We recommend the 20 second hug. Uh, 20 seconds is uh, a potentially awkwardly long time to hug someone. You got to really like them. You got to really trust and them. And you have a six second kiss, right? Yeah, yeah, John Gottman says a six second kiss. It's uh, long enough to be noticeable, but not too long that you make the kids late for school. <laughs> and it, like it's a kisses. potentially awkwardly long time to kiss yeah, somebody, right? Yeah. But when you do, what it communicates to your body is I'm in a place where I have someone I trust and like enough to be this intimate with them. And your physiology literally changes into the relaxation, connected, calm, peaceful state. I'm just going to interrupt for one second, because Emily's saying about the things that you do, which is fantastic. Um, but you have to bear in mind that what makes all this possible is the separation of the stress oh, yeah. from the stressor. So what we're talking about is that since the things that we do to end stressors, like 
getting our kids to put their shoes on or walking away from a dude who's catcalling us are not the things that complete the stress. We can solve problems without getting rid of the stress. But we can also get rid of the stress before we solve the problems. So we don't have to wait for the world to be a just and loving place for all people before we ourselves start to heal and give ourselves more energy and capacity for creating that safe, just space. Exactly. This is Emily again, which is why we feel so optimistic, because we know that people can be well now, even before the world is still a dreadful, stress-inducing place. And you also include gratitude as part of that practice, right? Sort of. Sort of. I, I like that you you kind of amend it with a, parenth- a parenthetical with just sigh next to just, it. Because I know. Gratitude. We talk about gratitude a lot on this podcast, and yet it also is like a staple of self-help literature. So here's a funny story from when Emily tried gratitude. <laughs> she tried like writing down things she's grateful for at the end of the day, and it just made her feel worse. Like, how come I don't feel better? I, I have a I have a roof over my head and, you know, I can feed myself every day. I just feel like such a jerk that I, I'm not grateful for all these things. Well, it turns out just being grateful for things is not an evidence-based practice. So she actually went and read the science because that's what Emily does. Yeah. So the science, the whole like writing a list of things you're grateful for, not an evidence-based practice. Phew. So if you have tried that and it makes you feel like a terrible person, yay, me too. (laughs) And it's not an evidence-based practice. Hey, if it works for you, awesome, do that. But if you want to do one of the evidence-based practices, there are two. One is being grateful for who you have. This is about acknowledging the people in your life who want the best for you, who bring out the best in you, uh, who make your working toward a meaningful, joyful life possible. Uh, So writing a gratitude letter to someone about a specific thing they did for you uh, can powerfully, for up to three months, improve overall well-being. And if you want a massive boost, read the letter out loud to that person. Oh, wow. So that's one. Uh, And the second evidence-based practice is uh, what it is about your life that makes like a thing you're grateful for possible. So you think of like a thing that happened today that you're grateful for. You give it sort of like an event title. You talk about exactly what happened, what it felt like for you when it happened. And then you write down how how was this possible? What happened that made it possible for you to be able to do this thing? Uh, so for me, it very often comes down to I had the support of my spouse who was able to take care of the dog so that I could go spend a week in California running the workshop, which leads me to feel deeply fulfilled as a human being. And I'm so profoundly grateful for that, for my husband, because of the ways that he. So it's a much deeper complex. And when I started doing this, OK, so the research says do three a day. I um, am not patient enough to do that three a day for a week. So I did one a day for three weeks. And it was utterly transformative. What it does is teach your brain to notice in the moment as it's happening, how deep your fortune is, how lucky you are to have so many things to make the good stuff happen. Uh, So uh, one thing a week for three weeks, all the instructions is in chapter eight, if you want the detailed instructions. Great. We, we, I, I love I've, tried to practice writing gratitude letters and it has been really, I mean, I don't do it enough, but that's such a great, both of those are fantastic suggestions. Um, we wanted to just switch gears 
a little bit, although we have touched upon sex and affection as part of this kind of um, practice for healing. Uh, Emily, I'm a fan of both of your romance books. Oh, thank you. you. I have read both of them. They were recommended to me. I believe I, I got How Not to Fall recommended to me at The Ripped Bodice here in Los Angeles. And then I read How Not to Let Go. And I was curious if, as a sex educator, if you could kind of talk about how erotic books and literature support our own sexual growth and curiosity and maybe also contribute to our well-being. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, in so I'm a big romance reader. I'm a fan of romance. Amelia does sci-fi. I do romance. And Amelia has taken off her headphones and is going to like go for a little walk. <laughs> 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 She's going to go get a cup of tea. Um, so the mechanism in our brain that governs sexual response is a dual control mechanism, uh, which just means it works the way everything else in our central nervous system works. There's an accelerator uh, or a gas pedal, which notices all the sex-related information in the environment, and it sends a turn-on signal. We're all sort of familiar with that basic dynamic. Um, and it's functioning all the time at a low level, including right now. We're talking about sex, which is a little bit sex related. So there's a little bit of turn on signal. Um, but at the same time, in parallel, you have a sexual breaks, noticing all the good reasons not to be turned on right now. Um, so everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, or crucially imagine that your brain codes as a potential threat. And it sends the turn off signal. So the process of arousal is this dual process of turning on the ons and turning off the offs. Maybe the most common thing that hits the brakes is stress, overwhelm, exhaustion. Parenting plays a large role, not just because of how exhausting and stressful parenting is, but because if you have young kids in particular and they sort of have their little kid hands all over you, your brain learns to filter skin body touch sensation into the uh, parenting state of mind, uh, which if you bring that state of mind into your sexy times, uh, totally hits the brakes, keeps things shut off. And so we need to transition out of a stressed out mommy mode kind of state of mind into Hey Sexy Lady. Uh, and one of the things that we can do to transition from mommy mode stressed out is uh, reading stories that uh, or watching stories that are uh, not things that activate our brakes, that do activate our acceler by being related to sex in a way that feels appealing to us, uh, and getting the time and space to do that. So half an hour before your sexy times date, uh, you run a bath or you lie in bed and you read the thing that turns you on. Ooh, which you I want to add something. Yes. This is Amelia. She came um, back. Um, no, I actually went away because I wanted to get a drink of some kombucha and my ice is really noisy. Like, anyway, <laughs> I knew you wouldn't meet me. Anyway, um, uh, fiction of all kinds actually helps with your stress response because one of the things that happens when you consume a story is you actually experience the emotions with the hero, you go through the discovery of the problem and the confronting of the problem and the solution of the problem. And it feels really good to go through that cycle because you're not just reading about someone else doing it. Your brain actually experiences those emotions along with it. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a romance story or it's a wizard detective or it's superheroes, you go through the story and you experience and complete the stress response cycle. And art of all kinds can do that. Literature, movies, music, you name it. 
And for me, as a, this is Emily again, uh, when I started writing romance, I took that to like a whole different level. Um, one, one of the, this is creative self-expression. It's another evidence-based strategy for completing the stress response cycle. For me, I had a day at work when um, four students in a row told me they had been sexually assaulted. Even for me, four is a lot in one day. Mm. Um, and my usual solution would be to, even though I knew that my job was to make sure they had access to the resources they needed to heal. And I knew for sure that they were going to get access to those resources and they were going to heal. I knew that that journey existed for them. And I felt really optimistic about that. But my body still experienced the stress and rage of witnessing their struggle. Um, and I have lots of strategies in place for dealing with this. Usually I would just go for a run and then sit in the tub and my husband would bring me a glass of wine or something. Um, but I had a deadline. So what I did was I came home with all my stress and I sat down and I wrote the proposal scene. I wrote my happy ending with my hero on his knees in the rain, begging to deserve the heroine. And I could feel my body transforming all that stress it was carrying into something new and creating a happy ending for the world. So through my imagination, through typing and crying on my keyboard, I was building for myself a world where men and women relate to each other in ways that are healthy and whole and joyful. Well, I think feel like that is a perfect spot for us to end on. That's such a yeah. great anecdote. I love that so much. Where this has been such a treat to get to talk to you both. Us too. Yeah, thank uh, you. Where can our listeners find you and find your work online? We have a website at burnoutbook.net. Uh, I'm on Instagram at just E Nagoski. That's mostly like pictures of my dogs and stuff. We like dogs. Great stress relief. Yeah. I was just going to say. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, thank you both so much. We, we've we really learned so much getting to speak to you today. And we appreciate you taking the time. We're thank so you. glad. Thank you. Dory. Yes, Kate. Last week... If I recall, Mm -hmm. we both kind of rolled into our intentions, not really having any. Yeah. And we owned that. We did. Um, You did have something which was trying to be honest with yourself about what you can handle. And I feel like I've been better about that, you know? Um, Yeah, I do feel like I'm getting more, I'm, I'm, I've gotten better about saying no, Mm. I think. Um, And then also just thinking about the next few months, like what I have on my plate and how you're going and how to I'm gonna handle it. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, and you said you were going to finish cleaning your room. How did that go? <laughs> I really do how sound did like go? a child. Teen, <laughs> Teen Kate. Uh, you know, it's better. It's okay. still getting better. I'm, I'm all, I wouldn't say I'm done, but it's at about 80% and okay. it's definitely looks clean. Good. It doesn't look chaotic. I mean, part of it is that I'm trying to set example, an example for my kids. Like, yeah. I feel like I have no right to be like, clean your room when mine when is a disaster. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. it's just nonsense. Yeah, I so I have to, that's why I make my bed every day. I'm like, these, these dudes need to see. Yeah. So I also now like a, like a made bed. Yeah. It took me too. like five, four decades, but mm-hmm, I like mm-hmm. one. So it, I'm getting there. What about this week? Okay. This week, it's basically on topic with with what we've discussed today, but I'm going to try to fully disconnect while on vacation. Good. I like this. And what that means for me. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I don't delete apps anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't have Twitter on my phone. But um, 
yeah, I'm excited to just kind of disconnect and just try to read. I'm really having fun reading. Yeah. Sounds so basic. But no, I, I, I get it. I would rather be reading than reading Instagram. <laughs> Something like that. I'll work on that witty <gasps> phrase. Okay, uh, you, Dory, what is up with you this well, week? Well, I have to get a new car. This is true. <laughs> so I think my intention is to get the safest car in America. <laughs> For you, <laughs> I mean, in case you hit anybody? <laughs> yeah. Like, I made the mistake the last time I got a car of not getting one with a 360-degree camera. And you feel like that would be an asset for you. I need it. Yeah. To see, like, when you're pulling out of a space. Yeah. Because, like, with the car I have now, which is a large car, mm -hmm. I never really got how big it was. I never really got how wide it was. And so I was always having problems like going in and out of parking spaces. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, first of all, I want a smaller car. Sure. That's number one. And number two, I want a car that has like every camera, parking assist, automatic braking, like whatever is there. I want it. Yep. I'm, I'm with you on that. I now have a 360 camera. It's the best. It's pretty fun. Yeah. You can just see every nook and cranny. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps so, me. So I know I, that's that's like not really an intention, but that's what's on my mind this week. I can't wait till I get back and you pick me up in your new vehicle. <laughs> my new safe vehicle. Undinged vehicle. <laughs> oh, God. Let's not, let's not get crazy, but yes. You're going to have a good track record with this new car. I feel it. <laughs> Thanks. I don't think my husband feels the same way, but okay. <laughs> well, listen, we've come to the end of our time together. We have. But you can always call us and chat in the voicemail box at 781-591-0390 or email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Just know I won't be reading it for eight days. <laughs> but I will. But Dory will. Um, you can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash forever35podcast. The password there is serums. And of course, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Mention us on social media. And a reminder that everything we mention is always on our website, forever35podcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at forever35podcast and on Twitter at forever35pod. And of course, Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Sheffrier and Kate Spencer and produced and edited by Sammy Cunio. And Lane Hammer is our assistant. Bye. Bye.